0: Hello there, and welcome to Conversations in Noosa. My name's John Caruso. Aussie music fans would recognise the name John Cogill from his days as part of the driving rhythm section for Brisbane band Powderfinger. You see, he was their drummer. Now, as much as he loved his involvement with the group in the early days, by the middle of the noughties, he started to think about life outside of the band, and he started studying for a university degree. These days, John is a journalist and presenter with ABC Local Radio. He loves chasing a story, surfing and looking after his kids. And by the way, congratulations to John and his partner. They've just added another addition to the family. He reveals that he rarely thinks about those heady days up on stage, belting out songs like On My Mind. This conversation took place at Noosa National Park.
1: used to come to Noosa as a kid to go for a surf or something like that. Um, Probably when I was a teenager. And because and, we're sitting right here in National Par- at Noosa National Park, right in the car park, and there's a lot of memories from here, especially things like um, getting in my mate Shane Hilda's ute, sitting in the back of the ute back in the 80s, and they, a few mates were in the front, and we would drive from Nambour all the way up to Noosa, and you'd go for a surf or something like that. Um, I don't think we ever wagged school doing it, but a, a lot of my mates did. Yeah. Um, and coming here, when that was on... And maybe there weren't such big crowds, but it was such a buzz for a teenager who was, had, I'd only been surfing for two or three years when I was 15 or 16 or 17. And you'd you'd show up here and the whole place would be packed. <laughs> and, you know, out in the surf and you'd paddle out. Oh, I hope I'm going to get some waves. And it was just, I, d- I don't know how to describe it, but you probably have to be a surfer to explain experience that excitement and the anticipation of getting a good wave or something like that
0: yeah and your dad uh, teacher and still teaches
1: is that right No, he retired look, dad probably retired maybe 10 12 maybe 15 years ago or so yeah chemistry uh, he, was that his he, thing? He, he yeah he <laughs> he he majored in I think it was chemistry at uni and he became a science teacher yeah uh, he taught in Strathpine uh, all over the place Montau Warwick. Uh, so did you move to those places? Like, you went I, to I was, and I was born in Warwick and <clears throat> we moved to Nambour when I was in grade, look, oh, sorry, I must have been three or four because I went to kindergarten there and then I went through all school there. And Dad was a teacher at Nambour High School where I was at and he was the science master there. Yeah.
0: So you are surfing are you into music at this stage at school?
1: Uh, I got into music because Dad was a musician. Uh, dad is a guitar player, and he played jazz, and he played in a few bands on the coast. Um, one was called Mainstream, another one was called the Leo Farthing Sextet or the Quartet. Uh, I love um, that name. Uh, yeah, I think the real true jazz names, it. aren't yeah. they? Like
0: the Sextet. <laughs> I'm getting into jazz now in my older age. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah like so, Lee Morgan and trumpeters like that. I love that stuff. Well, you know more about it than me. Oh,
1: yeah, your <laughs> dad played now. it. My dad played it, so. <laughs> We used to go to all his gigs around the coast and they'd be at places like oh you know you go to the caloundra um i don't know what it was the it's like a a, a pub down at clown do we use
0: the word speakeasy
1: speakeasy no <laughs> no because they weren't there no one went out no, no. late at those times but Did but they,
0: i'm surprised to hear that the, there was su- there was such a thriving music scene in your dad's era exactly here on yeah the coast. yeah and the the
1: the band was made up of teachers and they had a A singer, uh, Lynn Gillette or Gillette, she is a teacher on the coast now, she's just moved back to the coast to teach uh, voice training Um, and we used to go to these gigs and I I specifically remember with my mates whose their dads played in the band as well and we were young and for instance if one was at the Coolum pub with the old Coolum pub dad would be playing and we would search through the gutters underneath the bar so bars used to have these little gutters <laughs> yeah, yeah. that people would eat their chips and yeah. chuck the rubbish on the on the ground or you know they'd throw their cigarette
0: oh, i no, hope they'd... you're looking for coins we were looking for coins yeah.
1: we used to make heaps of cash
0: <laughs> you're looking for chips i was going to say no, oh, no, you, oh,
1: geez. yeah so you know we used to go to these gigs and we'd see the band play and then you know my parents encouraged my brother and my sister and i to play music in school and eventually I got around to, after playing saxophone Can, playing I, can I just guitar. ask you about
0: How did they, because I've got a son I loved playing the guitar when I was 13, 12 You know, for an 8 year old He's already got an electric and a 3 quarter size Acoustic and a name, he's got all the stuff And I've got various approaches to this So I, I leave it out on the stand In the hope that any time he walks past He'll pick it up and have a thrash That lasted a couple of days He never touches it again uh, the other story I've heard—I don't know if you've read Keith Richards' biography—but his granddad used to have a guitar high up on the wall. Keith used to look at it, but his granddad never gave it to him, and used to say, "One day, you'll get to play that."
1: Uh, Which approach,
0: with you and your, did, did they okay, so you're force trying... you to go to, you know, love music and lessons and that kind of thing? I, I, we, when I played guitar, my
1: brother and I learned classical guitar, and we were sort of forced to go to lessons. Do you enjoy it? I didn't enjoy it that much. I found it really hard, actually. Uh, but um, with drumming, I just sort of fell in love with it. Uh, I, I loved In Excess. So I started playing In Excess on Pots and Pans, and then I said to Mum and Dad, I'd love to have a drum kit. They bought me a nice drum kit. It looked like a really cheap drum kit when I was uh, 15, I think it was. So I, I just got into it. You know, I, I reckon some advice for parents trying to get their kids into music is be a role model you know if you can play music play it in front of them so yep. they actually think that that's just what people do you know <laughs> you know like that's yeah, just the yeah, language true
0: um,
1: listen to heaps of kids music in the car it, you know because kids music's easy for kids to get and they, they they learn the lyrics really quickly and sing along like sing really bloody loud <laughs> if, if you listen to the wiggles sing the song yeah. like just pretend you're enjoying it even though you've heard it 500 times, just keep on singing. And kids think, oh, so That's the norm. when we go in the car, we sing songs. We sing and there's and music, yep. It's funny, but my kids who are two and four, my girls, they sing all the time now. And they Nellie is even, she's got, got the guitar out, the acoustic guitar, she can't play chords, but she plays and sings. And we record it onto our onto my iPad and it's hilarious you know (laughs) so I don't know it's all about being a role model
0: yeah yeah that's that's true and plus again going back to your situation there was a lot of music in your house so your dad was actively playing you saw him up on stage you saw the crowds enjoying what he was doing up on stage and I guess as a kid that that creates a great impression for you doesn't it exactly
1: yeah and one of the other things was my sister and my brother and I romanticized about putting on albums you know we'd have uh vinyl albums and we put them on the record player and we you know touch the touch the pin, the the needle onto it and it'd be like oh wow and we all used to sit down and get really excited about the start of thriller or something like that or the <laughs> the police um regatta de blanc or something yeah, like that so yeah. it was like a moment that we all shared together well
0: i mean that's a whole other conversation as well isn't it mm. the the artwork involved in the the album cover and that whole process what exactly. you're talking about and that would draw kids in because I remember as a kid too getting my first 33 and a third long player, and yes, there was a real excitement the way it smelt and the yeah. So there was exactly. a real. Which which unfortunately, although there was a bit of a revival in vinyl, but that's not really kids don't, don't understand it. Do you know I, I did drag out some vinyl the other day for my eight-year-old because uh, I had some signed by I won't say who because it'll be embarrassing. Some favourite. <laughs> Come on, say it. Had a couple of Kiss albums signed oh, by mate. by Gene Simmons. That's not embarrassing. And I wanted to show him, and but when he actually saw the the, the long player, he had no idea or concept of how the sound, because he's just MP3 or iPod whatever. He couldn't understand how the songs, how you got. Because I don't even have a record player. Yeah, so right. So he, he couldn't grasp the idea. He goes, "So how does the how do you... Where do you put that? Yeah, yeah. Which is a whole, So that scares me that there's a whole new generation of people that have no understanding what vinyl is. Well, I suppose...
1: <laughs> the, the record players are cheap.
0: Yeah, I know? need an amp, though. Don't I need an yeah, amp to yeah, connect the turntable to? Garage to a, sales. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, all right. <laughs> when you when you were at school, John, did you... What, what did you want to do? Did you have, So was the passion for music or was it for journalism? What what did you think of uh,
1: that? Well, I think I remember thinking... Saying to my parents... I. I, I want to be outdoors when i work surfer not so much a surfer i never thought that i was good Make enough a to living be to a living out of surfing no um but i did like sport and things like that so when i finished school i i got uh accepted in the human movement studies program at uq and i went there i did that for about a year maybe a year and a half and i failed miserably was Because I was at university. I was staying at a college, Union College in, uh, at I'm UQ, dense. and serious parties. So I may as well have been studying an empty goon bladder. <laughs> but that, that's pretty much what happened. I just went and I had too much fun and I was failing. And so I changed to science and I started studied botany. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, to tell you the truth. Uh, the whole time I was practising drums and playing in some covers bands and things like that in Brisbane in Brisey yeah. um and yeah i just i just sort of fell into playing with Powderfinger because one week i decided you know look i'm not i'm not really enjoying uni i'm doing a lot of practice on my drums and i'm trying to play with more bands and i thought i'm going to go on an audition and my girlfriend at the time can at work
0: there was an audition Yeah
1: like Podet. well back then you know do you remember the time off magazine from yes, Brisbane yeah uh you know they would advertise well, we need a drummer so-and-so needs what a drummer. year was this this would be 1991 right. early 1991 i would say uh luckily a mate of mine lent me his uh his car for the christmas break an old holden kingswood or something like that which i i crashed a little bit and it was really bad luck anyway um uh I went to an audition the first audition i went to was with custard if you remember custard that band vaguely yes they they none of them mentioned their names on the on the um, ads so i went along to that and they were into this manchester sound so it was sort of uh, the stone roses sort of thing and i couldn't do that because i was sort of into rock and roll and funk and stuff like that and the next audition i went to about a week later was with powderfinger and they were just the covers band then and their drummer had just left because uh, he had some health issues and things like that um, and then you know I sort of got the audition pretty much and that's where that all started early 1991.
0: And where, what were you doing with your studies at this stage so you dropped out would you say you'd finished? Pretty much right? yeah
1: dropped out I, I hadn't been doing very well anyway yeah. so I just dropped out and I'd never finished those that degree. Yeah.
0: And so what? what were your thoughts what did you think was going to happen with this band? now that you got the gig and you thought, well, where are we going to go with this? Do you think it was going to be like a long-term prospect or something that was... You're playing covers. Did you think, oh, well, it might get a year? Uh, No, because I'll put it in this perspective. I
1: don't know. Do you remember when you were 20 and 21? And I don't know if you were like this, but I just thought, you know, the world was my oyster as far as... I thought, I'm young, I'm here to... I'm not going to use the word conquer, but it was like... I could just do whatever I want because I can set my mind to it.
0: You're still riding that wave of, um, you know, when you're at school, there's a wave of um, what you just said, the world is your... You can do anything and you have the ability to do anything, almost that invincible attitude. In a way, yeah. And so you're not making many plans. I mean, some kids are, but you're not making many plans. So you were just along along for the ride. Is that what you're saying? uh, No,
1: because I was really ambitious and I was in love with music. Um, to the point where when the band started to get you know we got serious to the point where we, they said right we're going to write all our songs now and i just couldn't think of anything else i remember i would have these i would get the train to the valley we had a rehearsal space in the valley and we'd rehearse for five hours or whatever writing songs and i'd get the train home and i'd walk from the train to my house in st lucia it was about a 40-minute walk, and that whole time was like I was analysing everything that had happened that day, and I was working out, what are we going to do tomorrow with this song? And I'd write notes, and and I, I, it was just all about writing great songs, and making whatever we had that day better the next day. Mm. And I pretty much lived like that for 10 years yeah. from that time.
0: You had the fire in the belly. That's great about Absolutely. any project though, isn't it? If you, I think about that today, if there's something that you're doing during the day and, and you take it home with you and you sleep on it and you're think, thinking about it, then you know that this is a path that you're committed to and you're going to enjoy doing it. So Power for a long time with the darlings of Triple J and you got a lot of support from Triple J. Because I, I don't really remember commercial radio supporting you guys. Our paths really crossed in the mid-noughties, dream days of the ho- hotel existence. I oh, know, that was... You, sorry, that was... You think it was before that? It, in mid-noughties, but that didn't come out
1: till 2002 or something like that. It was way earlier than that. It yeah. was... Well, t- uh, well, tell me about that. Internationalist and sure, that sure. sort of stuff, yeah.
0: Um but what, what, tell me about that ride and recording those album, albums and, and getting that support from a you know, national broadcaster like Triple J, watching the crowds grow, being on the road. What are your memories of that?
1: Uh, I'll, try to be, I'll try to make this as brief as possible. But So the first three years of Powderfinger, we had no success, even on Triple J. Um, but we, we had a real following, a live following. We got signed to Polydor Records, and they we had this great sound. We sort of sounded like the Black Crows, and all of a sudden, grunge hit, and yeah. we decided we were going to be a grunge band. Then, so we started writing grunge music, and it was terrible. And it was our first album, and you know everyone thought we were going to be this big thing, and we were going to resonate, and n- no one picked it up. These was all. parables. Parables for wooden ears. Yeah. Right. So great title for
0: a grunge <laughs> band too. By the maybe, way.
1: maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, we we had a sit down with the record company and they just said you know what you're really good but you just do stupid things you just what, what do they mean well like for instance we would write a song that was a great song but it had a a, a minute long intro of just distorted guitar sounds and they say just c- get rid of that stuff and it was really constructive stuff usually when a record com- company comes to a band they'll, they'll go fuck off we don't want anything to we don't want to hear your advice but we took their advice on board and we started writing songs that were Not because of them, but we just found this sound um, that sounded really like it was had this groove and it had it was heavy and it was great lyrics. And then one morning, Bernie, we were in Canberra touring and Bernie started playing the song Pick You Up. And he said that he came in and he said, listen to this, fellas, and we started playing it. that three nights later, we played it in Lismore, the song, and it was like the crowd reacted like a crowd you imagine a crowd should. They, they just got this big energy and they started jumping up and down. And it was like, holy cow, we know what we're doing now. Now, on the back of that, that song, Triple J picked us up. It got started being played on uh, on commercial radio as okay. well. It, it wasn't, we weren't darlings of Triple J for that long. We were actually not liked by Triple J at all. Right, I didn't know that. So, at the time, so this is probably 1996, and Helen Razor was on the radio, yeah. and I remember this because she was a massive hit. She was really um, irreverent and just had this beautiful way with words. Uh, and she had this, did this thing at the end of the year and said how much she, if she had a dream, she would be at a Powderfinger concert and a Regurgitator concert. And it was like at that moment everything started to work. Yeah, you know. And commercial radio, we started doing commercial radio stuff. We started playing that song in commercial radio, so it's basically from the mid. 90s 96 97 where yeah, things right. took off and i probably met you then in sydney or something like that where would have it been well, i
0: thought it was uh, it was a triple m in brisbane because i remember you know that the whole network got behind the band it was Powderfinger day and it oh, was like when okay. it was all day it was gonna be powder songs and right. we play new songs and you guys came in i remember the first time i talked we were talking about charlie watts as a drummer oh, okay and, 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 yeah right but but Tell me, do you think about those days? I mean, look, I, I'm a I'm a in small fry compared to. I, I probably did a couple of school socials as a band back in the '80s, but I still relive those days. You know, I think back to that. No, no, let's see that feeling that you get playing in front of a crowd, and you did it for, you know, you did it as a career. You still do? You still ride that wave? Do you still think about those times and go, man? I can still almost feel what it was like to be up on stage and having that adulation like that moment you just described at Lismore
1: no I I never think about it anymore I don't think about it at all I I have to try and think about it like right now Um, I, I think maybe because playing in front of an audience becomes like a drug where the first time you take it and you play to a great audience and they react in a great way you really remember and it really hits you and you get tingles and goosebumps and things like that And then, because we were playing three, four nights a week uh, and the gigs slowly got bigger, they didn't just go bang, then we sort of got used to being on stage and and what that would feel like. You're saying it wears off? I I think it absolutely does. And and you would see that in big bands is why uh, people like Kurt Kurt Cobain or maybe people who have uh, experienced depression after they stop is because they're so used to it. They're so used to that thrill that yeah. it's just normal. And then when it's gone, it's like- They need another
0: replacement. Oh my God, oh my God. A replacement you know, I for need that something, heart. yeah, yeah. Right. So,
1: um, no, I, th- there was a, we played with the baby animals. We supported the baby animals early in our career at um, Alexandra Headlands at the tavern there. And we came on stage and we played a few songs and there was this huge roar. And I rem- I'll never forget that. That was probably the big moment of the, as far as thrilling feelings. We played, there were a thousand people there. It was more thrilling than playing to 50,000 people at the Sydney um, Cricket Stadium or something like that because it was the first time, you know, so.
0: Whose decision was it to call it quits or to wind it down, do the farewell tour? (laughs) Was Was it a group decision?
1: uh, It was, it was like um, (laughs) the writing was on the wall and no one wanted to talk about it. Um, because I just think we'd had enough of each other Um, and it was just getting too difficult to sort of do it Uh, there was it was like a succession of decisions of let's sit down and I remember having a conversation with um, our manager and our guitarist while we were traveling somewhere in the middle of Australia I said should we be thinking about you know when the band's finished when it finishes and and I don't, I think one of the guys just went, oh, I don't want to talk about that. And I said, well, it's sort of worth it because you've got to think about these things. You may as well prepare for it sort of thing.
0: Um, because for, for, for my point of view, what was the album that had burned your name after Dream Days? Uh, that was... um bird on the front? Golden Rule. Golden Rule. Yeah. So from Dream Days to Golden Rule, from, from where I was sitting, from a radio landscape... This was the you this was the almost the pinnacle. You guys were doing huge shows. You toured with Silverchair. Yeah. The songs were charting and yet you were saying within the band you were talking about right you were talking about, you know using words like writings on the wall. Uh, well, it was just, look that was from my perspective.
1: I I'd, I'd been going to university for about 4 years before the band finished cuz I wanted to do something else. Sure. Um, and I don't know. I think Bernie was thinking about he wanted to finish up the band. I, I must admit he didn't have he didn't come to us and say I'm sick of the band. I want to finish it. It was a very like we all sat down and went, oh, what's going on? Look, it, and and there was a meeting where someone said, oh, what 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 Bernie's going to do a second album? Um, That's right, because he'd already released guys, a solo album. Yeah, but, like yeah. We're, what what how are we going to prepare for that? And I said, oh, sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know about that and that was a way of us going okay so he's going to do do a second album do I want to wait around for a couple of years and go back into doing Powderfinger and I just I don't want to I want to do something else with my life I understand that some of the other guys didn't yeah Um, some of them were open to trying something new sort of thing there was no you know someone coming out and going I want to finish this band sort of thing it was pretty grown-up conversation
0: no I get that so you wanted to be in charge of, of the vehicle you were driving you were already studying... So you were studying journalism at this I stage? I was
1: studying politics and international relations yeah, and then I went into journalism after yeah. that, yeah.
0: And so you thought, okay, I understand that. You didn't want to hang around? You wanted to get moving with your life and, and start a a, a a new career? or a, well, you, you basically did start a new career.
1: I wanted to grow up. <laughs> I, I was uh, 40 or... No, I was 39 or 40. And you tend to... What happened with me is I was in this role as a as a rock star and conversations generally revolved around what i did as a rock star or other stuff and i wasn't interested in it anymore i was interested in the world and learning about different things and now that i when i left that world it was like suddenly i could talk to people normally there was no you know you tend to have all these yes men around you The great thing about our band was our band was made up of not yes men and we could tell each other to shut up or stop being a dickhead right but most people treated us like we could never do anything wrong and that's dangerous i think for anyone you know um you you need some constructive criticism and if you stay in that world and you'll see it in some people they can't stand anything constructive really and that's probably why they start to of wind dwindle away because yeah. you need to be recreating yeah. yourself
0: and I can see that and I guess in your new role as a journalist and and what you're doing with the ABC you get asked the questions yeah, that's true yeah so you're you know before people go you go you know if you have a subject or a, a topic that you're talking about you're in charge because now because you get to say well tell me about this and tell me about that yeah you know who what when and why that's your job now
1: yeah exactly yeah i can
0: can understand that
1: and and funnily enough my role in the band was a very much a um what did they call me the whipcracker. uh you know because i would always question not business decisions so much but musical decisions like um you know when we were writing a song i'd say well why don't we you know that sounds good but let's try this or so i was the scrutineer i suppose very much so and you you know the guys will always say that that i was a pain in the ass basically but it was the perfect preparation for being a journalist you know so
0: but every organization whether you're an organization or a band or whatever you always need you need those different perspectives you do that's right i was i was going to ask you if that, those your opinion on that were welcomed by the band in terms of yeah well let's try that let's do uh, that this it, way.
1: well it depends how you you express them really
0: yeah i guess uh, <laughs> diplomatically <in a> diplomatic <laughs> and you
1: know about that being yeah, well. <laughs> uh, someone in charge of a of a station yeah. it's it's so hard to word things correctly without offending people yeah. and, and and in a in a band where you're full of creative people who um, who have ideas that they are heartfelt about it's really hard to to say i oh, imagine saying well that's not good enough with, to someone who's fallen in love with something already you know yeah. So.
0: and so was it amicable when you
1: yeah, said goodbye to a certain point yeah, yeah. It, it was a bit funny um, for a couple of years there none of us really spoke much um, so but it, it's pretty cool now
0: that didn't worry you uh, as in no that, that you'd lost contact with oh, these almost like your brothers and people that you no, had no, hung was, out with for so long
1: 20 years of hanging out You're with your it. brothers you, you need a break sort of thing
0: <laughs> so you finish your studies and was it abc brisbane you, you start on this yeah, new career
1: yeah i i did a uh, internship there and i did an internship at the sunshine coast daily and then i did some stuff at abc sunshine coast and that's when a part-time job came up or was it a casual job to do online stuff and i started doing that
0: yeah, yeah. and you enjoy it uh yeah i do I haven't seen you for a couple of years, but I remember the first time in those first few months of being in the office, I remember you were really gung-ho, inquisitive mind, passionate. If you had a story to chase, you were really um, you know, passionate about getting the results. It was a right. story about the hospital, I remember, and, oh, yeah. and you were yeah. all over it. And Do so you still have that fire and that, that, uh,
1: that passion? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I like to make sure the story that we're doing is, is as good as possible. With, with the skills that I have. And I, I imagine, like, my skills are sort of maybe a fifth of what ama- I imagine a journalist who's been doing it for 20 years has got. Um, so I sort of just work with what I've got to get where we are. But, you know, and you would have seen this, if you want to be a really good journalist, and it's probably like any job, you pretty much have to live it, you know. And I can't really do that because I've got young kids.
0: And if You do. There's a, there's a colleague of ours, Bruce... Who, yep. who I can see He's the kind of guy that lives weekends, Saturdays and Sundays yep, yep. on social media text I always remember. Um, and I guess it is hard but, but do you find, because you, you're only you're presenting on Saturday mornings on the ABC. You go in and you know you prep your program on Friday. It's hard dipping in and out like that, isn't it? To, to still have your finger in the yeah in the pie to be kind of connected and, and understand what's going on.
1: Yeah, it sort of is, and that's why it's important to be in touch with those people during the week. Like yeah. Bruce, Bruce and I are pretty good mates, and uh, Rob, you know, just and and Bianca as well. Just knowing what's going on yeah. and trying to keep in touch.
0: What gives you great joy? What, what what's your purpose for for getting up in the morning?
1: oh wow um, it would be probably my kids um, probably the family unit you know like um, Lee and I and the kids we wake up and they come into the bed and we all just sit there being silly do they like and,
0: you know they come in like 4am not is it really? anymore no well <laughs> <laughs> so that's a early start to the yeah. day that one. Oh, shocker wasn't it
1: isn't that <laughs> that's a shocker no it's like it's more like 5.30 these days. So, yeah. My
0: son did that this morning, came in at 5.33, and I said, you've still got another hour and a half. Oh, wow. Back to bed. Wow. Hey, where well, we're sitting, Jane. can you... Um, we're sitting here at the National Park. This is special, this this walk. Can you describe... Oh,
1: well... Why? Now, the reason... And, and it, let me just talk about this for a second, but it, it's, I think it's a great idea what you said to me about finding a place that means something to you, that has some sentimental value. And why that's important to me is because you know earlier we were talking about when you're young when you're in your 20s or something and you've got this drive to do stuff and i never believed in being sentimental in those days because i always wanted to move on move ahead move ahead what what's next how can we make this better sort of thing and it wasn't until the band finished which is the beauty of what i was saying is why i'm happy it was over is because i started to see those places or you know just see where you felt love and where you felt friendship and all that sort of stuff. So you know, just having to think about that was yeah. Great, I, I think know?
0: that's um, that, that's part of life. In your twenties, there's a certain you're on a, a certain set plan. Yeah. Then in your thirties, your your priorities and your objectives change, and then in your forties, you start I don't know being sentimental or retrospective, but you do start thinking back fondly on, and you want to reconnect. It's yeah. like me with my hometown. Yeah, you know, I grew up in a small place called Bundaberg. I couldn't wait to get out of there, but now I, I think back, you know, it's got some great beaches, and I think back very fondly of mm. my time there. I don't know if I want to go and live there, but but, it, but it holds a special here. place.
1: There's probably something here that reminds you of that yeah, place yeah, yeah. as
0: well. Yeah, well, so this is a beautiful
1: place. Just it reminds me of when I was when I was a kid, um, from your from your surfing days
0: when you come down right. with your mate, and no, that's right.
1: Exactly, um, <laughs> but also when I asked my wife to marry me, we were having I you know planned it all. I bought a $19 plastic ring cuz I hadn't got a ring yet. And I had it in a little satchel and it fell out of my pocket at dinner and she said, "What's that?" And I, "Oh, nothing." <laughs> <laughs> and uh the I why we went there is cuz I thought I knew there was a full moon coming, you know, for the whole make it all romantic and and it it just didn't make the edge. It just didn't come it around the hill. Oh, over It was cloudy. Nash- no, just it just was... didn't make it. And I said to the <laughs> I said to the waiter, um, do you get the full moon here? And he said, oh, no, you'll have to walk up to Boiling Pot uh-huh. to do it. And I said, babe, let's go up to Boiling Pot and we'll see the full moon. It'll be great. So, you know, it was eight o'clock at night or something like that. And we parked up here and we walked up. And as soon as we came around the corner, here's the full moon. Oh, it was yeah, really it would nice. Spectacular. Nice. So,
0: and you are asked Lee to marry you?
1: I asked her to marry me then. She said so, yes. She said yes. So... And good. now,
0: baby number three on the baby way. Baby number
1: three, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Beyond the kids, because we all—I'm enjoying my time with my son as well. But beyond, is there any, what? What else are you passionate about? Again, what? What do you like? Music. I know you said you, you're playing music with the kids, and that's great. Do you still have a desire to record something, to write something? To uh,
1: okay, well, with music, um, I don't actually, because, like I was saying, I, there was so much effort put into making that music that we made that I, I look at music and if I wanted to create it I think I w- would feel that I had to put that much effort into it and it just looks because you have a certain
0: standard you think it's got to be of this this that level uh, yeah that I too. can't do this in the bedroom at home on a mac
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true I mean you could maybe if you if I had the skill to do that but just like you were saying did the band end on a good note there were five years at the end there where we were sick of each other and it was hard work and we were arguing a lot and we realised that it just wasn't fun anymore. So I look at it and I think, if I'm going to make music, I'm probably going to have to go through all that shit again. So I'm not really interested in it anymore. It's, and I suppose I also would be looking for that height where you're playing to thousands of people yeah. and all that sort of stuff.
0: You um you mentioned that uh, when you have kids you do listen to a fair amount of wiggles I understand but do you what what else do you have like what do you listen to on Spotify or on your what do your phone to or, on, what well, are you into?
1: you know the beauty of doing the Saturday program is that I get to just get a bit of a playlist and I'll go through what you're supposed to play and I'll change the songs with
0: <laughs> something I'm
1: sentimental about <laughs> or you know so there is a lot of stuff and and we we have my producer and I have a few little projects and this is what I like is that doing. Daniel. No, it's not Dan. It's no, no, uh, no. Natalie Wynn at Is the he moment. Is
0: running marathons, I suppose?
1: No, no. He's producing the <laughs> afternoon program. So. Okay. But he did a great one the other day for my show, which was we played Kanye West's songs and sh- and we played the songs that he had sampled for that song. In the song. Yeah, right. right. So okay. the other day we did an Iggy Pop, Six Degrees of Separation from Iggy Pop. And great. I love that because I love Iggy Pop. So <laughs> I got to explore what that music was about. We might do one on The Clash next week or something like that. So... I must admit, I don't sit down and listen to a lot of music unless I'm on the radio and I'm doing a bit of it's, it's research. True.
0: It's true. When you have a young family too, I remember. Um, I say this in jest, part jest. I haven't read a book from cover to cover in eight years. Right, It's, it's hard, it's isn't hard. it? It's yeah. just you don't hard to stay awake you don't, Well, then <laughs> hard just to get uninterrupted time. Yeah. to, to yeah. read a book. Exactly the odd book, but I, you know, um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts.
1: Great. That that's, that's my great. thing. Well, it's a huge struggling. growing sector yeah. in podcasting. There's, there's an amazing podcast called Hardcore Histories oh. by a guy Dan Carlin, and yeah. it's about the the dark side of how humans can treat each
0: other. Pretty, okay. it's like war, look and
1: it it's just phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Do you get recognised? Do people stop you in the street? No. No. Uh, that might happen three times a year. They they know you from the band or from yeah radio yeah. The last time I got often. stopped,
1: maybe, probably the last time, one of the last times I got stopped was about two years ago, three years ago, we were on our honeymoon in Fiji and I was surfing a break called Cloud Break and this guy sat next to me, he was Irish, yeah, right. and he said, you're the drummer from Powderfinger, aren't well, you? Well,
0: you guys had huge success <laughs> in the UK, I remember we were at the Brixton Academy or something? Yeah, there. yeah. I remember yeah. reading a headline about you guys playing over there? Yeah, we did okay in England, yeah, yeah it was good. You yeah, did okay every week. No. What was the US market no, like? Not, not, uh, not, a, no. not, a. Did we you ever tour the US though? Many times,
1: yeah. yeah. We, did, we did one big tour with Coldplay and that was really? probably the biggest tour we did when they first breaking in the US, so that was good fun. Um, but we toured there maybe four or five times and nothing ever really exploded for us over there.
0: Yeah. John Cogill, thank you so much for your time and, and, and all the best. No worries
1: John, thank you.
0: John Kogel, there, former drummer for group Powderfinger, these days a journalist and presenter with ABC Local Radio. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, Conversations in Noosa. If you did, share it with family and friends on social media and I hope you'll return to download more episodes in noosamagazine.com.au forward slash conversations.